Welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Elias Rosner. And I'm Jake Hill. And today we come to the end of our journey through time and space. Today we conclude the Annihilation Saga. Excelsior. I was wondering how you're going to take that. I didn't know if you're going to do like an excited one or kind of a mournful one. I, you gotta take that bittersweet Excelsior because, I mean, we've been doing this for not 12 weeks. We've been doing this for 12 episodes. That's, that's a long time. That's six months. Yeah, that's six months, which is a great amount of time to read this, actually, because it was a lot of comics. Oh my god, it was what, like 144 issues across that? Yeah, when was the, have you done something like this for a while? This is my first time doing one of these in a good long while. Yeah, no, um... What was the last big read I did? I mean, I've been you working that with... my way through a whole bunch of different stuff, but... I, Jason Aaron Thor, I think you did that in, because uh, you were reading all the tie-ins and crossovers and every what have you. Yeah, yeah. Something something as sprawling as this. Like, I've read... Like, I've been slowly working my way through the Constantine you know, comics trade-by-trade, trade, but that's trade-by-trade. Trade. It's not a lot of the jumping around big superhero crossover read-throughs. I, I think this might be the... the first one i've really done that's not just i'm keeping up with something yeah uh, i guess to be more specific we are talking about the annihilation saga which is a huge comic book run that we've been reading for many months um and many issues and i think the the unique part of the experience that i'm thinking of is um when you read this big series and there's all of these little ancillary mini series and stuff right like um in this read through, we read uh, that uh, story about Hero Kala, the son of the Hulk, which had nothing to do with anything. Um, you read X Men Kingbreaker against my, uh, my against sincere... your your sincere uh, warnings. It's like I walked into that that haunted house, which says "Don't enter, ghosts," and I was like, Psh, "It'll be fine." And then I got haunted, which kind of surprises me. If you people uh, don't know Elias, uh, he seems much more. Uh... Yeah, the, the the cautious guy in the horror movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, that's true. I I I'm terrified of those kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we come to the end of the Annihilation Saga, the uh, run that I think most famously brings us the Guardians of the Galaxy as we understand them today. Mm-hmm. But it's also the story of Richard Ryder, who is the superhero known as Nova, and just like a whole bunch of villains as they defend the universe from crazy threats far away from Earth, where um, superheroes such as Iron Man and uh, Captain America and Doctor Strange never even hear about these things. They would be surprised to learn all that our heroes have gone through. In fact, they are often surprised at when they hear all that our heroes have gone through. They only ever get snippets, though. Just like uh, sometimes you see like Reed Richards, he's like, oh, yeah, I heard about that. You're like, hey, you heard about that? It was a crazy war. Trillions died. Yeah, whatever. I was too busy building my horror prison. He, that is what he was doing, was building his horror prison. And um, Iron Man was on the run at this time. I, Wait, I could. He was? But he was the head of the initiative. Oh, you're right. You're right. By, the, by what we're reading today, Thanos Imperative, I believe Norman Osborn is... Uh, chasing tony stark across the earth for his for what he knows Alrighty, this was a weird era of comics everyone yeah matt fraction's iron man uh america's most wanted huh the maybe world's one most day wanted. we'll read that maybe it's a weird uh 
run. It's a weird arc of a weird run. But we're talking today about the Thanos Imperative, the final uh, six to eight issues of the Annihilation Saga. Uh, these issues were written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. They were illustrated by Brad Walker and Miguel um, Sepulveda. Uh, Miguel Sepulveda, inked by Andrew Hennessy, colored by Will Quintana, Jade David Ramos, and Rain Barreto, and lettered by VCs Joe Caramanga. Um, and I guess, Elias, this my two it. questions are, yeah, did you like this story, and did you think it was a good ending for everything we've read so far? Those are two very different questions. Yeah, and I think uh, you kind of got to answer them uh, side by side to compare them. Yeah. As a story in and of itself, I thought it was great. I thought it, you know, it it did what it kind of set out to do. It told something that was reminiscent of War of Kings, that was reminiscent of Conquest and Annihilation. And it had all the hallmarks of these big, you know, turning points in Abnett and Lanning's writing. And, I mean, Giffen wrote the original one, uh, but this still had, you know, they all kind of fit uh, the same or similar modes. And I think this was very successful in what it set out to do. Now, whether it was this good, successful ending to what uh, Abner and Lanning were doing, the answer, I would say no. This felt like it was, you know, one more step in what they were doing rather than an end. And that's kind of unfortunate. And obviously, I, and we'll talk about it, there was a series that we're not reading part of this that came after, or I guess two miniseries but yeah it's i really really wonder what would have happened to this story what this story would have felt like had guardians and nova still been allowed to be an ongoing and run parallel to this in the same way they ran parallel to war of kings because i feel like that's where a lot of my problems are it's all of the small stuff that would have been tackled in the nova and the guardians books and maybe like some tie-ins aren't here because it's a very focused miniseries which is also good. It's good to have these kind of focused miniseries, but yeah, especially when, when we consider Nova 36 happened before this. I'm like, ah, man, Nova 36 felt like it should have been uh, occurring alongside this stuff. Yeah, and Nova's got a lot to do here. I um, One thing I will say for it is that Abner and Lenny really gave it like a huge send-off where um, it really feels like uh, weighty and epic in its finale, and they're... Uh, they, they, they go to I, – I guess what I want to say about Abnett and Lanning overall in this is even at the parts of this story that aren't my favorite parts of this story, mm-hmm. Abnett and Lanning are so good at writing an ongoing superhero story that once they got their rhythm going, everything's functional and built. And if, you, if something doesn't land for you, you know you're building to something and the next thing might, right? Yeah. And so likewise, I think – they don't pull any um, – this doesn't blow me away with this creativity, but they, they execute it so well. They play every card in their hand where they're just like, we're going to kill off major characters, and we're going to bring on a conflict that's bigger than anything we've ever seen before. We're going to shoot all the fireworks we got left. <laughs> like I, we, we had planned a three-hour show, but it started to rain, and then they told us we had to get it done in 20 minutes, so we just kind of lit them all up. Yeah. It's like the uh, how Sensate got canceled, so they turned like five seasons of Sensate into like a two-and-a-half-ish hour movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that was... 
That was something else. And, yeah, and they, they do everything you would want them to do in that movie. There's like a big, cool uh, heist scene followed by like a weird monk explaining all the mythos of the show in like a really boring scene. And then like a trippy psychedelic orgy. Just all of the things you would expect out of the finale of sense Yep. I really liked the opening to Thanos Imperative. It, it hooked me. Yeah, so I... Tell me. Uh, yeah, Ignition opens with... Uh, Ignition... So... The, another thing I really do like about the naming sequence of this, even though it is a little ridiculous, instead of just having an eight-issue miniseries, they had this one shot before and this one shot after, whatever. But they called it Ignition and then Destruction, and I really liked that. Ignition and Devastation. Or Devastation. Even better. And I actually... I feel like they kind of earn it because Ignition spends about half the issue um, recapping stuff and then half the issue setting up the story proper. And Devastation uh, does the same, but for what's to come after this, which we'll talk about. Yeah. So Ignition opens with just Thanos turning to the audience going, Who am I? How dare you, you miserable insects? I am Thanos! And I am dead. And then he basically just melodramatically narrates how he got killed, and he's very mad that he's no longer dead. Yeah, so I find the—I've talked about this before, but I found the motivations of this Thanos to be so much more interesting than the movie one. He loves death, and what's so fun here is he got, like, revived, so he's mad. So now he's gonna, like, kill a lot of people to prove that he's, like, double death, extra death, whatever. Super mega ultra death. And that's so much more messed up and compelling than um, he's a paternalistic environmentalist who's got, like, opinions on research distribution. <laughs> it really is a lot better. The more I think about it, the more more I'm coming around to that argument. I still like those movies. I still like Thanos in those movies. I like those movies, too. I think the performance is really good. I think uh, his physicality and his evil is, like, a both like really realized on the screen and everything but i love the like thanos imperative is a good thanos comic and there are a precious few of those because as we'll talk about after this there was like a gold rush of thanos comics and none of them were very memorable yeah anyway but this is memorable this was very memorable a very memorable thanks in part to the brad walker art fantastic art by brad walker um, i'm so sad he didn't get to do the whole thing yeah, uh, he gets to draw a bunch of scenes from throughout the series, too, which really uh, sells the the finality of this. So we see uh, Drax ripping out Thanos' heart, and we see him fighting Galactus and the Silver Surfer, a bunch of Adam Warlock stuff. We see, like, his greatest hits from uh, the Infinity Gauntlet and him fighting the Avengers and all that. Yeah, and then he's just kind of chained up, and you really see, like, how scary he is. It's like, well, he has to be in all these chains and this and this, and we've already had him just murk a whole bunch of people, including Philavel. Still, still not over that. No, and this entire story was missing Philavel. That's actually my number one biggest criticism of it. Yeah, for reasons I'll talk about at the end of this issue. I I really like that the psychics um try to keep Thanos at bay, and that ends up being an ongoing like measure of psychic power that we can understand the ticking clock. Like as yeah. he's regaining consciousness, their ability to suppress him is gonna wear off, and then he's gonna uh be unstoppable. Yeah, and basically their upper hand will slowly be lost, and you can feel the crew getting more antsy. You can feel Drax really getting more antsy, uh, as as they kind of lose more and more control. He's like. I could kill him now. I did it once. I can do it again. 
And all of this is set against the backdrop of uh, where we left off, which is that all the races of the Marvel galaxy are, like, parked on the outside of this giant tear through space called the Fault, and they all have different ideas of what to do with it, because there's creepy promise of Cthulhu knowledge if you go in, but that could, of course, destroy the universe, and every species of the Marvel galaxy has, like, some factions who are into that and some who are not, and that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, this is also another one of the weaker parts, I think, of Thanos Imperative, is that we never really got to spend enough time with the fault before this. We got, we talked about it before. I, I genuinely think we needed some more time <laughs> in between Realm of, like, doing the Realm of Kings stuff before we got to this, like, the final confrontation. Yeah, especially because, like, the relationships between a bunch of tertiary characters, like Medusa having a showdown with Blastar would be great if we had seen Medusa and Blastar kind of circling each other for a couple more stories. Yeah, or, you know, Namorita doing anything other than showing up again. Namorita, okay, so we've got to talk about Namorita. Namorita is one of the elements that works least of this story, and it's because she came in with no foreshadowing in the last arc and now is, like, a primary part of Rich's motivation for everything, which um, she and she feels still feels like a stranger. It's also like I've read all the issues they've been in together. Uh, she is calling him her boyfriend, and I was just like, I did not ever see that conversation happen. I, that's and that does not seem like a a safe assumption. Uh, but he agrees, and just uh, yeah, his love for Namorita, d- despite never having mentioned it before, is so great that uh, her being revived without question leads back to them getting together, even though. Uh, she's like a teenage version of herself, and he's like years uh, beyond that. I yeah, it's, it, it's all the craziest thing in the world. Yeah, it it feels it smacks of editorial mandate and or they had to fast track it. It's got to be uh, the fast tracking explanation makes the most sense to me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if they ever wanted to actually bring back Namorita. Um, I wonder, or maybe they tried to get a different character, and they were they were told no, you have to bring someone else back and he was like they were like fine we'll bring this person back because she does serve a story purpose and we talked about this a lot in our last episode when we talked about their motivation for using the sphinx who the i sphinx. don't want to spend any more time talking about the sphinx <laughs> i i like um Mag- so magus shows up at the beginning of this adam adam warlock's evil half the magus and um, he's been sold as so scary and evil to me at this point that whatever he was on the screen, I was quaking. And so when he gets taken out, uh, that's when I knew stuff was getting serious, you know? Yeah. I like That was very effectively done. And like I said, not a lot of creativity in uh, this story, but like it's a perfect execution and they really know how to uh, sell the, the big victory lap of it all, which I, I had a great time with. Yeah, the ignition, I mean, it... It kicked it. It started the fire. It was the spark that starts the fire of this of the this story, and it's just a lot of the big moments, the big events. So in order, we have Nova chasing fake Quasar across space as the real Quasar is working with the Shi'ar, uh, who end up with Blastar and Medusa pairing up, and we're basically just pulling all of the different threads and bringing everyone together from War of Kings and putting them into these uneasy, strange alliances. Because we all know that something is coming and it's bad. Nova crashes into one of the Universal Church of Truth temple ships because they are everywhere around the fault. Great And panel. that's where we see... They got Mag- stained glass windows. Yeah, with the stained glass windows in space. <laughs> that seems safe. And 
Adam Adam Magus is there. Fake Quasar shows real Quasar shows up and we have this big brawl when Adam Magus teleports in, or maybe they just teleport in, all of these planets that have been converted. And we previously had seen something like this throughout the Nova series. That's another another good good bit of foreshadowing or just planting the idea of, well, this is a thing that could happen later. And then he blows up all the planets. He kills so many people. The fault rips open. You know, the Guardians of the Galaxy freak out. Thanos attacks the Guardians. Adam Magus and fake Quasar are bowing to some mysterious guy that comes out of the fault. And that's when Adam Magus, because, you know, he failed to kill death, gets vaporized. Which, surprisingly, they don't show him just kind of, like, melting. If this were Annihilation, you would have probably seen, like, the skin melting off his bones. Oh, 100%. Uh, and I kind of appreciate that they don't do that because it still sells, you know, the horror of it. And then we, then you turn the page, and it's just a splash page of the, of the reveal of this big bad. Do you want to take it? Well, so who I, I was very excited to see is Lord Marvel, the uh, original Captain Marvel in Marvel Comics continuity, a Kree warrior who. Uh, did a whole bunch of stuff in Marvel history now and famous, but most famously died of cancer in the death of Captain Marvel, which came out in 1984, something like that. Something like that. It's bonkers. 1982. Sorry. I just uh, had to know. Yeah. And, and he means so much to so many Marvel cosmic characters. He has history with them. And in the, so in this other universe, he is the impetus for all the awful dark magic Cthulhu stuff and is the emperor figure of it. Yeah. Wild. I, I guess, Elias, uh, you've read a lot of Marvel comics, but um, because of the way things are now, this is not a character who's very frequently mentioned in contemporary Marvel comics. I think it's a character that uh, contemporary readers are unlikely to be familiar with and very unlikely to have an emotional investment in this character. How did you feel at this reveal? Did this land for you? Was this effective? Was this exciting? I mean, it totally landed for me, partially because... Marvel has had a bit of a, you know, not an outsized impact, but his his character was, I would say it was felt during this ser- these series. But also I think it's because, well, because of the quantum bands. Because every time the quantum bands showed up and we talked about Quasar, like, Marvel was kind of always lurking, lurking around the shadows uh, from when we talked about the Kree Scroll War, and I think like they mention him a few times because he used to have it. They even mention how you know Quasar uses the the bands, and it's and they reference Rick Jones. Um, but our biggest connection to Marvel throughout the series has been Philavel, and this is where I think her absence is felt so acutely, and yeah. something that really brings down this series for me is that. Philavel was one of our protagonists, and she got really marginalized at the end, and then killed off really suddenly. Yeah, it was bad. But she's the one who she stops Ultron. She's like the hero who uh, wins the final battle of the Second War. That's like worth something in these comics, you know? Yeah, uh, it's it's. And she's the one who would react most strongly to having to face this evil version of her dad. That it probably would have been. Well, I mean, it would have been. It's it's the only person i guess out of the entire crew that really had a strong connection to marvell i don't think any of the guardians maybe nova um but they all they're more detached from it like they know him as this this kind of figure in the distance 
versus the the buddy they fought alongside or the family that they lost. And that's kind of, that is a big, it's a shame. It's a shame that we lost that to that emotional core. It still worked for me. Yeah, and it works for me too because um, he's actually uh, wonderfully written. Wonderfully is the wrong word, like uh, infernal. <laughs> Thoroughly written. terrifying. What I like is they take his death, the central conceit around his death story, which is very powerful. It's um, uh, a, like a Jim Starlin comic. It, it was a, a Marvel graphic novel, so it came out like as a graphic novel. And the whole thing is a really like melancholy, somber meditation on cancer and uh, how uh, despite all of these like uh, magical forces, Captain Marvel's cancer can't be ca- uh, cured and he like uh, accepts his death peacefully surrounded by superheroes. Mm-hmm. Weird story, right? Just a little bit. But I, I think if you're trying to do something different with the superhero genre, which I guess they were trying to do, that's a good way to do it. Well, so and what I like is the way that this plays off of that bit, that in this other universe, instead of accepting his death at the end of that story, it becomes this what-if universe where he gets into, like, uh, satanic magic and, inve- and a bunch of Cthulhu shit. And... I'm enough into, um, like, Lovecraft Country-themed uh, RPGs and board games and stuff mm-hmm. that, um, like, I know my Yogg-Sothoth for my Shuggeth. <laughs> Um But I'm probably just going to call it broadly Cthulhu shit because it's all good. It's all fine. I think they the, do a fun job Cthonic with that. The Cthonic mythos. Sure, man. Sure, the Cthonic mythos. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but... But that's the vibe. Is but that's that, the uh, fun. That Lord Marvel is, um, instead of dying of cancer, um, did some Lovecraft shit. And now everyone and, lives of cancer. Yeah. And that and it, and I guess what I like about that is um, that reminds me of that style of 1950s comics I love so much. The um, ironic horror stories. Oh, yeah. Where, that's um, some classic horror shit. The EC comics. Yeah, the EC comics. I love that shit. Where... Um, the the very thing that you learned a lesson of, about is also the thing that ends up doing you in or killing you or whatever. And so, or um, failed to learn the lesson of, or failed to learn the lesson of. So in this case, um, because uh, he had couldn't accept his own cancer, the entire universe got cancer and can never die. And now he has to be taken out, but he doesn't realize that. He still thinks he's the hero, probably because he had horrible eldritch beings whispering in his ears for however long yeah i think this is a great villain and i wish we um i wish we brought him back i wish he fought uh, carol danvers captain marvel all the time i just feel like captain marvel deserves a deeper rogues gallery and um the evil version of her mentor who went all cthulhu with like cool necromancy and stuff sounds like a great vibe to fight against i don't know I'm just uh, putting that energy out there anyway thanos imperative number one opens with a flashback <laughs> to the annihilation war which and is... we're already seeing the effect of the sliding time scale. Is that true? It, well, oh, it says it's ago. two years ago, uh, and there have been 36 issues of Nova in between. That's that's three years right there. Regardless, uh, Abnett and Lanning are pros at this, right? You open it up with this emotional exchange between where Star-Lord and Nova met, and it's a real, like, yeah, we get this. They fought in the war together. That's like a real uh, uh, bond experience that bonds two people. 
And it's very easy to sneak scenes into it because, you know, it's the middle of the war. There's so much downtime. This could have happened at any one of the campfires. Yeah, but um, but this is great for this miniseries because when they, they're going to call back to it a bunch. And uh, that it's just storytelling 101 to sell you on this, the emotional stakes of this relationship. And this is when I get, get off my lawn, kids. I just think that this is great basic storytelling stuff that people miss out on a lot, you know? Yeah, it's the kind of... You know, real, it's economical too. It's two, three pages, and then we're right back into the main stuff, and it it all supports each other. Uh, but after the flashback, we get a, a nice, nice splash page, maybe a bit of a wasteful splash page. But I mean, it's fun regardless of uh, <laughs> Star Lord shooting Thanos in the chest, and it just doesn't work. Thanos keeps yelling. <laughs> Uh, and they have to they have to take him out Ripley style with a giant uh, mech piloted by rocket. But he doesn't actually end up punching him. He just kind of talks him down, which is not what you would expect from Rocket. That's what I would expect from Rocket because I've been reading this comic where Rocket is uh, actually a really clever, uh, forward thinking guy. Um, I know he's not a hothead like he is in the films. Uh, regardless, I think this is our last look at Jack Flag. Goodbye, Jack Flag. Um, yeah. Does Jack Flag actually do anything in this? He might be. In a, he might be in a crowd shot at the end. Um, yeah. Him and Groot and and Gamera. I don't think any of them have really much to do. Uh, Gamora's in some stuff. Uh, yeah. I don't know if Groot is anything. Yeah, but, the Guardians um, don't get a lot to do. But I want to talk here a little bit about um, Miguel Sepulveda's art. Mm-hmm. Where I think. He's great at drawing Cthulhu monsters. I actually love his Cthulhu monsters, and he really sells you on the horror of that throughout. And all of his horror redesigns are awesome. Yes. But um, his like clarity of storytelling is a little bit hard for me to follow throughout this, and a lot of times stuff doesn't have like, a great sense of space or scale. No, it really doesn't. And it doesn't help that the people sometimes feel a little... <sighs> What's what's the word? Well, I mean, they look kind kind of plastic shiny, which we've touched on a whole lot in this this era. Yeah, but the, it it's so weird coming from Brad Walker's art. Like coming from that to this, I just feel I'm like, oh man, I want more of that. Even though this is fine on its own, the backgrounds tend to like have that gradient look, and they're not they're and not like a like a useful one. Like they're kind of drab. Uh, Brad Walker's art is also inked by Andrew Hennessy, and the uh, the inks work really good with his pencils, and, uh, flat, giving everything like a deep textured look. Mm-hmm. And uh, Will Quintana does uh, colors on it, and then uh, Will Quintana is joined by J. David Ramos in uh, the main series issues. Mm-hmm. So I, I gotta figure that something changing with the art team, right? This is like a, a digitally colored, not inked style yeah uh, you can really tell that with some of the effects especially when when thanos gets kind of zapped on that yeah, first page everyone looks like, like uh inflatable they look like beach balls just a little just a little bit oh medusa looks so bad in this first panel i was like what you you she, you have the excuse to give her the most ridiculous hair and you give her like boring side part I, I didn't need more from Medusa in the story, but you're right. If Realm of Kings had gone on longer, it would have been cool to follow Medusa a little longer. Yeah. But I just mean even just in this one panel, like, her hair looks so flat. 
It made me sad. <laughs> yeah, Medusa's it hair made should me be sad. Flat. But then on the other hand, when Lord Marvell shows up, Lord his Lord Marvell looks so great and sells me on this character. It looks oh, like yeah. a, the superhero costume, but it's got a uh, pentacle instead of the the Star of Hala, and it's glowing, and his eyes are red. Um, but otherwise, he looks like this handsome guy. He just has this look of like a like this uncanny. The un, I guess it's because the uncanny valley thing really works to sell what he's doing. He looks like the skin of a guy put on not a guy. Like a vampire, mm. and yeah. so uh, this creepy art style with all the inflatable faces actually really sells that. It also really sells the Silver Surfer, who has this otherworldliness. I was gonna say the Silver Surfer looks really good uh, in this. Uh, the reflectiveness of his normal surfaces are pretty good. I don't know why they chose to give Quasar this the fake Quasar this this ashen ashen look. This I don't know drow, why drow complexion. Yeah. They did in the in with Brad Walker. He looked more like purple in that one. Whatever, it was a choice. I don't particularly like it, but you needed some way to differentiate him and to code him as evil. Um, and then I also love his design for the uh, Revengers, who are a bunch of satanic Avengers. That's <laughs> just I... such a great name. I I just wrote in my notes: Revengers resemble. <laughs> I wrote that too. <laughs> I think that every time, but uh, I think that they have a great look and um, I like them so much. I just wish that uh, more writers would do like a horror story where somebody gets sucked through a space portal to this world. And they meet the Revengers. I thought they, I mean, we'll get there, but I thought they all got killed. Yeah, whatever. I feel like, um, first of all, they can't be killed. Do you want me to just ultimate no prize hand wave it? Do it. The stories we're reading now are pre-Secret Wars, so they're in the seventh iteration of Marvel Marvel's multiverse mm-hmm. and everything post secret wars is in the eighth iteration where Franklin Richards cast all these parallel universes out into reality based on his memory of them. Mm-hmm. So maybe Franklin Richards was like, yeah, we should put the Revengers back on that world when he cast that universe out into the multiverse. Yeah, the cancer verse is fine. It can stay, but the Franklin's ultimate universe, punk. fuck them. That sounds like something Franklin would do. <laughs> the worst version of his dad came from, uh, Oh my God. The ultimate universe. The worst version. But oh, when those when the ships started coming through the fault, I was genuinely like, I'm like, oh no, please don't tell me this. The Sphinx is back. <laughs> Maybe the no, no, never. Yeah, me and the Sphinx no. are done. Yeah, nope, we're done. The Sphinx blew it. So after we see the Revengers, who are based on, is it the Mighty Avengers? Is it which Avengers team are they? It's not. I don't think based? it's specific. It's not a specific roster. I think it's just a roster that would have made sense uh, the year that this comic came out, you know? Okay. Yeah, because I see Ms. Marvel, and I see Scarlet Witch, and I see giant Hank Man, and then Vaughn. Yeah, because, so. like, um, I feel like uh, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, and Scarlet Witch are classic Avengers, like, always on the team. That's That makes sense. And mm-hmm. then... Um, at this point in the late 2000s, early 2010s, Carol Danvers was still Ms. Marvel, but had be- uh, reasserted herself as an integral part of the team. Mm-hmm. And um, I think in the Ultimate stuff, Ultimate Hank Pym was so uh, talked about and provocative, I'm rolling my eyes, that um, that kind of gave that character a second lease on life. And he was in all the cartoons that came out around that time. Oh, that's true. So uh, this roster makes sense to me uh, for that reason. Okay. I forgot that Scarlet Witch was a classic Avengers character because she just hadn't been in the Avengers for so long. Yeah, um, yeah, a bunch of crazy continuity stuff happened with Scarlet Witch, but um, she mostly, if you want to read her Marvel history, it's going to be in Avengers and Avengers-adjacent comics. Yeah. 
So after we get them, uh, we cut back to Thanos in chains, kind of menacing the Guardians a little bit. He, you know, he, he, he does his shtick and he's like, well, you've got me now. I'm the Avatar of Death. Cool beans. Well, the, yeah, so this is when all this Avatar of Death, Avatar of Life stuff uh, really starts coming into play. And I actually, um, this thread has been going since Annihilation. Like, this has actually been a big part of it. But I feel like it the, the, the rules keep on changing. And while they're being clearly communicated in this miniseries, it would have been cool to uh, have them built up a little bit more. Yeah. Like, Drax's status as an Avatar of Life ends up being an important plot point. And that's been mentioned before here and there, but... Hasn't it, really come into play in a while. Yeah, it's never it's never really mattered. It's never been clear what that means. And then they're just like, an avatar of life would be like this, this, and this. And uh, you're like, I guess I have to believe you. It would have been cool if something like this had happened before. Totally. And especially when... I just kept thinking when Thanos was talking about this. Or I don't remember where uh, they were talking about how... It's later. But they were talking about how there was a... You know, like, they're hiding the Avatar of Death or whatever. And they're on a MacGuffin hunt. And I'm like, are they? Because we know exactly who it is. And it's, you know, Thanos... I felt like Abnin, I don't like Abnin Lang didn't clearly communicate that the characters didn't one didn't know Thanos was back, uh, which my mistake if I didn't assume that, but also that there that this was a these characters don't know it versus there is a grander plot because I kept thinking I'm like who's the secret avatar of death if it's not Thanos? Yeah, I due to the rushed, weightless nature of a lot of this, it just kind of comes at you real quick. Yeah. A lot of this, these issues are a lot of fighting, and I realized that um, there's some really good panels where it's like a striking image of um, of something mm-hmm. with a lot of composition. But then when it's a panel where there's like a lot of dialogue, so it's a tableau of violence, that is just like nothing to me. Like I'm looking at a great one of a demon Thor hitting uh, Wendell Vaughn with his hammer. Mm-hmm. And there's like tentacles around them and a bunch of uh, shattered energy spikes flying everywhere. And then like right under that, there's this big tableau and like Namorita is punching Ms. Marvel. Uh, Nova is flipping upside down and shooting Captain America and everyone is running. And it's just like a bunch of weightless nonsense. Yeah, that's unfortunately a lot of the fights in this series. They just yeah. kind of are. We need to punch each other. But uh, how they win the fight is they punch slightly harder instead of anything clever or fun, which is, again, a shame. But I think that's because they were focusing so hard on, you know, a lot of the how do we destroy the cancerverse and juggling all these different plots. And it's really just a war of attrition on the part of, you know, the Nova side and everything. And we're just basically checking in with them, trying to figure that out. Which actually makes this more similar to stories like uh, the classic Infinity Gauntlet and uh, Infinity Crusade and Infinity War, like all the, the old Starlin Thanos mm-hmm. stories. Because hmm. those always get solved by some uh, deus ex machina at the end where like the cosmic abstracts show up and they say, oh, well, we can't let the universe get destroyed in this way. Uh, it'll have to be some other different way. And it's like, how? Don't worry about it. Yeah, and uh, calling back to that, uh, Drax makes an appearance in this wearing his old costume, which um, I love was, it. Yeah, it was very striking because it's a goofy costume. I'm sensing a butt. Well, my butt is just like, a, but I wish that um, it it had shown up before in any way, or like, uh, 
I guess so we, we hadn't got a lot about this version of the character's relationship with like the way he used to be. And yeah. so like him choosing to go back to it didn't really mean anything. I just liked wearing, watching him wear it. It. I think what Abner and Lightning were trying to convey is that Drax is kind of over the course of the what's going on here. It's kind of like falling back into into who he used to be. Uh, you know, the, all the Avatar of Life thing, and because Thanos is back, he's kind of like, you know, he's really stuck on that. He's kind of, kind of being drawn back in, which is. One way of doing this, but it's it's not well conveyed and it's not, you know, handled particularly cleverly. Uh, and, but we get to see Drax in the goofy costume and uh, <laughs> Thanos gets gets to thank him. He's like, thank you for killing me. I wish you had. I wish it was permanent, but that's not on you. <laughs> I love how their whole plan is, you know, let's just feed the cancer verse Thanos. It'll be fine. Well, and I love that they... Um how they keep on selling us on Thanos's whole nihilistic wishes he was dead deal mm-hmm. by uh, reacting the opposite of how you would think he would in a lot of situations, which always makes him exciting and dynamic because you would expect him to want vengeance, but he was just like, uh, "Oh my God, you're the you're the coolest. You did the you helped me do the thing I've always wanted to do." And Drax is just like, "Don't talk to me." <laughs> Drax is like, "I'd do it again, but they won't let me." Next page is another great example of what I'm talking about with this art, where um, there's a this big splash of the, the the whole team like walking across this like city that looks bad. But then at the bottom, there's a panel of Gamora like drawing a sword and pointing a gun, and she looks awesome. It's it's the shot. It's got great composition. It's just like a classic uh, trace from an action movie panel. Yeah, and then we get the splash page of all of the the defenders, but I don't. I don't, what would they be? The 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 offenders. Uh, the offenders. The offender. There we go. We've got the offenders. Yeah. Uh, we got we got Demon Hulk. We got uh, T'Challa. Although it might be Shuri at this point. Uh, I I think it's T'Challa. We. I really like. I think that's supposed to be Nighthawk. It is supposed to be Nighthawk. Because he's he's hunched over. He looks like the the Kelly Jones Batman. Yeah, he looks like I, an owl love i love it i love that look silver surfer's up there in the corner and some dude with a some some person with a sword that's valkyrie. i don't know who that is that's that's valkyrie yeah that's oh Valkyrie's so it costume. is there are too many spikes there's so many spikes i couldn't tell yeah it's a spiky demon valkyrie and then you got like an alchemist doctor strange at the top it's cool stuff good design i like yeah. i love all the horror design in this it's great and but then we get some more just pew pew punchy punchy it's the next issue uh, and then Galactus shows up with, I know it's just a bunch of Celestials, but I genuinely thought they brought back uh, ten, uh, Aegis and Tenebris. Yeah. They look just like them. I think, them? They, I think it is supposed to be them. But they were thrown into the, well, I guess they were thrown into the rift or the, the bleed at the edge of space. I don't know. But yeah, so all the Celestials show up to like try to hold the fault shut, and all the species of space are showing up in their starships, and they're going to fight as Cthulhu monsters pour through this big hole. It's all very epic. It's all very sold as end-of-the-universe stuff. Yeah, it works. And we cut back to, to the Cancerverse. Uh, the the offenders have been get taken out. Again, same same fight criticisms. We get We get to see some good Cosmo. Or I guess not not good because he gives <laughs> Cancerverse Hulk a stroke. 
he says uh, painless, up. yeah, painless way to die. He says, and it's, uh, I, yeah, you're just like, oh man, Cosmo could be, uh, Cosmo's like uh, the Professor X of being cute dogs. Yeah, and the whole time, the reason why they have to do this is because Thanos kind of just crapped out as soon as he got to to this universe because it was too full of life. Yeah, which just like offends his nihilistic, death-loving sensibilities, which again I love. I love uh, his, you know, he's from um, he's from the the Greek uh, myth of Th- uh, Thanatos. Thanatos, mm-hmm. I you know me and pronouncing this shit, but um, <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna his help. Br- <laughs> his brother, his brother is Eros. It's like a just like a whole obvious play on a Greek myth, and. Mm-hmm. And I love this vibe for him. I love how he's just like sniffs the life and he's just like disgusting life. It must be empty and dark. Um, good goth good vibe shit. for my big purple raisin guy. But he recovers after the they find out what well the 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 offenders cannot die in their home universe. Uh, but Thanos kind of wakes up and they're afraid and he just eye beams them to death. And it was a really cool moment. I really like the panel of the eye beams. <laughs> That's great, great stuff. Yeah, it's hard summarizing this because it's a lot of walking, it's a lot of talking, and then it's a lot of fights. Which okay, there's I can, not much interesting happening. I can take us through it. So uh, yeah, we're, we're reintroduced to Vision, and Vision is there representing all of the machine people are immune to this Cthulhu shit. And he's got, like, a machine rebellion going on. Lord mm-hmm. Marvel, meanwhile, captures Major Victory and Namorita because they're, like, uh, time-displaced and thus not properly of this universe. And he's wondering if he can use that in a magic spell because he's up to Cthulhu shit, which is very well realized. Good Cthulhu shit. Our friends from throughout the Annihilation War start showing up one by one because of the desperation of the moment, starting with the Silver Surfer. Mm-hmm. Well, of course he showed up. Galactus was already there. Yeah, it uh, shows up with Galactus, and um, and and they get to talking. You know, they you gotta commiserate because it's another big catastrophic war. Silver Surfer's kind of aloof and is like, "Well, clearly you don't understand this battle." I guess Silver Surfer is such a good character when you understand the core of it, and Abnett and Lanning do, and he's very sad, but that lets him be kind of funny because he's the mm-hmm. sad guy, and sometimes he's just like saying sick burns about how much more powerful he is than everybody as he's doing, you know, baller yep. shit. You also get to have the very flowery purple language from him when the Galactus engine breaks through the fault. Yeah, the Galactus engine. So I hate this thing. You hate this thing. Tell I me hate more. this thing. It, 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 I hate it. I hate it so much. I don't want to ever look at it again. Oh, just because it's gross and scary? Yeah, it's it's a centipede, but with Galactus's skull face on it, it's it's horrifying. It is horrifying. I wish it did anything because when that showed up and looked like that and was so horrifying, I was like, oh, damn. Yeah, yeah that's what happens. Anything. And then it doesn't do anything. And just like, I feel like thinking of a good doomsday weapon that's not just the Death Star is hard, and the Galactus engine is like, yes. A Cthulhu Galactus centipede skull is exactly what uh, we should be coming up with for situations like this. And then it doesn't do anything. Doesn't, yeah, it doesn't do anything. We cut back to the battle, more ships show up. Uh, because all of the battle is taking place on an abstract level, and so uh, Aegis ends up having her head blow up and these mind worms fly out, and it's pretty nasty, pretty messed up. I, li- I like how little sense that shit makes, and yeah. um, 
I like, yeah, I love the giant Marvel sci-fi stuff. There's a real, like, there's a fun issue where of uh, Thor where Odin fights Galactus, and they're fighting on such a high plane of existence, they're just staring at each other while blood's running down their nose. <laughs> that is and good just... stuff. But here, you kind of want to see a little more of it, especially when you've introduced the Galactus engine. I do want to see what the Galactus engine does. But I was cool with, like, uh, people's heads exploding and worms flying out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we cut back to to the the cancerverse eventually, and Thanos is Thanos has been brought. Well, I guess Thanos and everyone has been brought to the the center of the, um, what's it called? The mach- not the machine empire, but the, the resistance machine people's uh, resistance against the Cthulhu yeah. Avengers. And this is where we find out exactly what happened to you know Marvel and tying it back to the death of Captain Marvel, and I mean it's good stuff. It's really clever, and um, I think that uh, makes this guy a compellingly scary, magical villain. Um, I think he's great in this, and I wish they brought him back a zillion times. He should fight everybody. Uh, he's got dark magic. He's got a universe full of evil versions of all the characters you love. Um, he's an excuse to just draw cool things. Meanwhile, yeah. back in our universe, um, all of the status quo leader characters uh stand around and are terrible at things so like uh king blastar and medusa and gladiator are all arguing which i like because i love this status quo i like this being the shitty rulers of the various empires while we root for all the pirates and renegades who are slipping between the cracks that's fun for me yeah i mean they all suck (laughs) that watching them fight i'm just like oh my god i can't believe these are the people that ended up ruling at the end but we've seen them (laughs) throughout and we're like yeah none of them are good at what they do they're good at other things um weird to spend so much time here with kazar when kazar has largely been like another legacy character kind of on a level with uh with marvell mm-hmm. where he existed in the past he was the obi-wan he died at the beginning so now having him back in corporeal and kind of like co-headlining with rich i thought was a little weird that should have been phyla yeah phyla as quasar she should yeah. never have not been quasar you're absolutely right. That would have made the story better in every conceivable in way. In every way. She would have still had the quantum bands, and that would have given her a good connection back to Marvel, her dad. It would have made for some fun parallels, and maybe the final battle could have relied on those powers somehow. You're absolutely right. I'm absolutely right. We are absolutely right. <laughs> we can never be wrong. And we could be, but we are not this time. <laughs> But so um, the the assembled uh, leaders of the galaxy are like, Richard Ryder, you have uh, saved this all through so much. What do you need? And that moment totally landed for me because that has been earned. Yes. And he organizes and he's like, give me all of your heavy hitters. And they have a cool superhero walk followed by a, a really ugly looking panel of Rich. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's just not really like a, ugly looking. Not a flattering angle. But no. the heaviest hitters include Wendell Vaughn as Kazar, Beta Ray Bill, a wonderful character who has never been in any one of these comics for even a minute. No, but he is a classic Marvel Cosmic character, so oh, absolutely. It, it makes sense that he'd be here. Yeah, he should be here. Uh, Kalark, a.k.a. Gladiator, the Magister of the Shi'ar Imperium and the former bodyguard to the Magister of the Shi'ar Imperium. Uh, Richard Ryder as Nova, the Silver Surfer, who is Herald of Galactus, and that is full regular powers and Ronan the accuser who I'm glad to see here I actually feel a lot of affection for Ronan I feel like we've been with him through so much and I kind of wish he got more of the spotlight here although he's fun yeah he's fun he doesn't get a lot to do because this is primarily Nova and 
Quasar's whole deal. It's their story, really. Star-Lord's kind of there. And then Thanos and Drax are the other, I guess, two big, big players. Especially when we cut to the next scene and it's Thanos and Drax fighting before Drax, you know, kills Thanos one more time. I like And everyone's that he, just uh, like, what the fuck, fires- dude? He fires his gun, and everyone's like, Drax, come on! Because everyone knows you can't kill Thanos with a gun. And then Drax is like, that's why I brought the disintegration disintegration discs. And everyone's like, what? And then he uh, disintegrates Thanos, and then they were really upset. But yeah. like for a second, they're like, Drax, you idiot. You can't shoot Thanos. And I like that. I thought that was a fun... That was a fun moment. Although, when I read that, I was like, oh, cool. A callback to Annihilation, where in the middle of the story, he kills Thanos. And everyone's like, this is going to be the end of us. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> yeah, I like that that's Drax's thing. And it's I a, like a that... Poetry, um, it uh, a rhymes. In the Guardians of the Galaxy movies... Um, Drax is kind of along for the ride, and he's always talking about revenge. Yeah. I really like this uh, insane vengeance-driven version of Drax. It's good. It's a good characterization, especially now that, you know, once Thanos is back. When Thanos is gone, he wasn't motivated by it, and then he felt lost, but it was a a meaningful loss. Uh, And then Namorita is wrapped up in tentacles, and we can skip past that, and... (laughs) I don't got a lot to say about that, but uh um, No, but it was it was sure something. And we get a, a battle on the ship with the the Revengers. But I, I, wait, but the, I do want to say about that is just that um that's mm-hmm. uh, obviously uh wrapping up the love interest in tentacles is gonna be a questionable choice, but it was a meaningless choice because Namorita just showed up last night, she would have no idea who she is. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really it is quite 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 meaningless. While the fights continue to be pretty, like, weightless and have no sense of place, and I'm just like, oh, we're on the ship, we're on the planet, I don't know where we are, um, I really like all the designs for the Cthulhu X-Men who show up. Uh, the Colossus one with no, like, face and it's all melty is pretty cool and creepy. The creepy Venom one. Yeah. Which, my, yeah, the, all the designs of the the Revengers and the, the uh, uh, I didn't want to say triple X-Men. The Rex-Men. The Rex-Men. Let's go with that. Uh, the po- the poison men I don't know. the evil ones the one the ones who will devour your face they look cool there's a battle rich uh, and Wendell Vaughn save Namorita because you know why not we need you need a saver it's how it does how you do uh, we cut back cut back to the planet everyone's yelling at Drax and then Thanos comes back to life in this terrifying panel which actually looks really cool with the the digital effects yeah, i like that panel this is the kind of stuff where i am a believer in the future of digital effects i think that they were like very misunderstood especially in this era uh but stuff like this i w- i love to see in comics today with like the lightning and the bones are like reincorporating that's a word reincorporating uh, yeah, you, you're struggling too. And then, uh, yeah, the lasers that are flying around for the rest of the scene, um, the obvious digital nature of them, like, really sells uh, the power of them and how they're not of, you know, our reality. Yep. Um, yeah, pretty Thanos much. Thanos is gross, reappears in slime. Brooks. Drax is like, what? I killed you. And he rushes for Thanos, and Thanos just, like, vaporizes Drax. Uh, Drax has failed at killing him, and Drax gets, like, a really impressive two pages of exploding. Yeah, it's nasty. But because he was an avatar of life, his death in the universe triggers something and the Revengers and, and uh, Marvel know now where everyone is and know, 
you know, that everything else was a distraction or whatever. Uh, and Nova's just like, well, shit. It, it <laughs> Guess I got to go after him. It breaks the spell of the ritual. And this is where, again, we've like, I'm like, okay, so apparently if you kill an avatar of, of uh, life, if the avatar of death kills the avatar of life in a universe where there hasn't been an avatar of death, right? Like there's all these like rules that they're just like saying as they're happening. And I was just like, you know, be like yeah. Aquaman. Tell me all the rules at the beginning, and then you draw the trident from the whale, and it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, just we we don't need to dwell on most of that. Eventually, the Revengers attack on their home turf. Everyone's yeah. trying to defend Thanos. More battles. And here pew, they can't die. Pew, pew. The fighting stuff, uh, you know, it continues to be pretty well executed. Like, I liked it when Kazar made the Captain America shield uh, force field. Yeah. It was really cool. Vision Vision gets dead. Vision gets dead. Uh, the group of guys, the strike force being led by Richard Ryder rescues Major Victory and um, uh, Namorita. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Wanda finally does her face turn again. The the one we were expecting for a good while. But that was cool to see. I was into yeah. that. No, I was glad. I was glad we got to see that. Gave her something to do. When we finally get to the site of the necropsy rite, um, I was just like, this just looks like a spooky place. This doesn't look like anything specific. There's just, like, tentacles and weird wormy cliffs, and there's, like, a collapsed building that's all covered in slime. Yeah. And Nova's rushing to try and get there first to do something. I don't know what he wants to do. I think he just wants to punch Marvell in the face again. <laughs> like, obviously, we know his end goal, but, like, the specifics of it all is pretty, pretty nebulous. He gives Wendell Vaughn some of his Nova Force, as uh, yeah, you do. Gotta g- Nova... do that callback. Yeah, I, uh, I, which is a callback I appreciated, because it was the beginning of Annihilation, so that had, like, a little uh, uh, nice uh, circularity to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Necropolis, the Necropsy site. Oh, but I really love how when... The actual, the rest, the the main team of the defenders show up. We get Thanos and Marvel running at each other, and it's just Marvel, Thanos, Marvel, Thanos. He's like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> and I I kept expecting like Groot to just be like Groot. Oh but yeah, Groot's he, not there. No, Groot's Groot. Not, Groot didn't come Groot's on this mission. There. Groot's on the other side. You're so right, though. Still a, a very fun moment. This is where, okay, and now we're, like, getting down to, like, uh, end of the universe stuff. So Rich gets to nowhere with Namorita to stash her when uh, that triggers the last entry in Star-Lord's log, which was the log he's been doing throughout the Guardian series. It has the same captions, mm-hmm. uh, which I liked. Uh, Rich says his tearful goodbye to Namorita, his uh, beloved girlfriend who he would risk anything for and who uh, we've always known he felt this way before about for this whole uh, series. Clearly, clearly, obviously. He has some comment... Well, no, no, later. He has some comment about, um... Like, Gamera X's, you know? And I'm like, the fuck, dude? I, Gamera's great. Gamera is great. I feel like they were setting up a love triangle. It would have been really fun, actually. Yeah, if they, they'd gotten a chance to execute it. But we get a fight. We get Thanos and Marvel fighting before Thanos releases him and is like, Welp, I know you can kill me now. Please do it. To Marvel, so he's just yeah, like, to I, will, I will do literally anything for you, my Lord Marvel. And Lord Marvel is just like, um, sounds good to me. And tentacles shoot out of everywhere and nowhere because whatever. Good, good, weird Lovecraftian artwork. This guy likes to do it. Yep, he summons some terrifying sword. <laughs> His face in that panel looks so funny. Uh, we get we get the exact same shot of Medusa from the first issue. It literally the same Medusa. 
just not covered by uh by a, a what's it called by the spaceship uh this is also where um we start seeing characters for uh like uh world mind and nova are uh having kind of their their last moments together yeah and the rest of the nova Corps shows up uh gets to have their their big hip hip hurrah final moments and nova comes crashing down into the what's it called the necropsy Thank you. Into the necropsy as Thanos is kind of sitting there being like, hurry up, kill me faster. Before kind of looking at Marvel and going, I just screwed you. And death shows up. And he smiles. And the, he's uh, like, these panels are awesome because uh, just like uh, good creepy skeleton work really. Uh... Yeah, I think the digital art works really well. for the, It feels like a bunch of metal album covers. Yeah. Yeah, you can really feel that kind of the that this that sense. And Death kills Lord Marvell, and there's this giant explosion. Uh, and then sadly, the Galactus engine goes boom. Uh, the fault starts to collapse in on of itself. Yeah, and this so I I don't think that these uh, uh, these issues do like a great job at selling what exactly the danger is of this to them. But it's it, it's definitely if it collapses, they're never going to be able to get out. Yeah. I, th- I think that's it. I think that's literally the only, you know, big, big problem. Yeah. And Thanos is here. He wants to, he just started collapsing this universe by introducing death to it. And now he wants to jump out and just like kill everybody. Cause it's Thanos. He's just like, all the gloves are coming off. And, um, and so yeah. the, the final showdown. Also, he, I don't think he really wants to do that. He wanted death to take him back and death's like, nah, and doesn't even talk to him. And so he feels spurned. Uh, and Rich and Star Lord notice this and go, "Oh no, I guess we got to keep Thanos here." <laughs> and I've said this a hundred times, but just like uh, you know, uh, so a problem that we have in our society is the, uh, men who uh, don't take rejection well and do violence, and that is what Thanos has always been. And it's crazy that the people took that motivation away because it's so thematically relevant, more relevant than even intended when he was first written. Yeah. That there's a epidemic of this terrible behavior that Thanos could represent, and that our heroes could fight against heroically. But no, I mean, but he here, even, yes, he even literally says, "Quill, you did this to me. I'll kill you. I'll kill you all." He becomes Superboy Prime. Yeah, <laughs> I'll kill you to death. Which, I mean, in his case, is thematically appropriate. I like how Thanos has looked so strong these issues. He's obviously pretty invincible. He reconstituted from getting uh, disintegrated. He had that giant-ass I-beam where he, like, vaporized half the uh, offenders. Mm-hmm. But when Death rejects him, he just starts crying and looks so weak on his knees. Yeah, and then when he's fighting back, even though he looks, you know, big and powerful, he doesn't really look strong. He looks kind of like he's just lashing out. Yeah. Which is good. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's a, a well-written Thanos. And while the universe is collapsing, the Guardians uh, who are fighting there mostly beam back up. But Nova and Star-Lord decide to stay behind and distract Thanos for long enough that uh, knowing that they're going to sacrifice themselves, that at least Thanos will be trapped with them where he can't hurt anybody else ever again. Yep. And um, that panel of Thanos running at Star-Lord and Nova, and Star-Lord's got the cosmic cube, and Nova's all powered up, and Thanos is like coming with his full strength and bearing down on them. Yeah. That panel is going to get reproduced a lot as this thing gets called back to in future issues. I believe it. That's a powerful image. 
yeah, this, there's a couple good images in this set of panels, and it gets referenced a lot. And I want to give uh, props to uh, Miguel Sepulveda, uh, uh, at least for that much. Yeah, and this, I ragged on the art a little bit, but, like, him and Wes Craig I feel like I haven't seen Sibylveda's current art. I don't know if he's still working in the industry. He might still be. The most recent seen... thing he did was that uh, Matt Rosenberg Kingpin miniseries. Oh, he was the artist on that? Okay, so like Wes Craig, he really just leveled up. Yeah, I would. I should return to that. I, I would be really interested with this. Yeah, because you can tell he's got a real eye for certain things. Yeah, some things just, he needs more more experience. Or he needed, because this is 10 years old now. Yeah. But we end the issue. We end the final issue of the miniseries, but not the final issue of the event. <laughs> in the gra- in a graveyard, as you do. You know, it's tradition at this point. you got to enter the graveyard. you got to look at all the, the sad graves. Uh, we get, get to look at uh, Philovel's gravestone. Drax is there, Adam Warlock. And then we get this really cool final panel or final final page final splash page of just Rocket and Wendell looking at you know a memorial to Rich and Peter and Rocket just says damn it Pete why do you ha- guys have to be such heroes I'm like that's such a great way to end the mini and I, it kind of makes me go okay I I'm glad that they're that devastation and uh why am I blanking on it ignition Literally, ignition. ignition God were kind of considered separate because this feels like an ending moment, like a really sad summer moment. But it also feels like the opening to something because Annihilation ended like this with, no, not an Annihilation, Conquest. And with when Moondragon died and, you know, there was the fire and, you know, the dragon, the dragon thing. And that's where they commit to starting the Guardians of the Galaxy team. Yeah. So, I don't uh, know. Yeah, it's a real down note to end on. It's a kind of confused note to end on because also at the end of Annihilation, the person they were looking back on and reflecting about their death was Kazar, who is now the one looking back at the person, the two people who were mourning him at the end of that series. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's that nice, that circular poetry callback thing where you don't need to, but if you know it, it's, it's very nice and touching. Yeah, um, it certainly is an interesting setup for what comes next, because the next issue is about a different character entirely. It's about the uh, devastation is about Cosmo as um, Cosmo goes around the galaxy, uh, putting together a new team as per the final issues of Peter Quill, Star-Lord. And well, the issue actually first opens with Blastar. King Blastar. King Blastar. Uh, at his most just overreaching, he's trying to annex all of Kree space because he didn't do shit in the war uh, in, in uh, Thanos Imperative. He kind of was there, he yelled a little bit, but like his forces didn't really do anything. And now he's attacking Kree space because he can. Uh, and we think, oh, he's winning at first. And then we get, no, throughout the issue, Cosmo assembles the team. He goes, uh, talks to Ronin. We get a flashback to Wendell, Namorita, and Robbie. And basically back and forth between all of the different Annihilators he's grabbing. I think it's Beta Ray Bill, Silver Surfer, Gladiator. It's one other person. Uh, and, and Ronin. And I really like all the different uh, – these are a bunch of tough guys, but they actually do a pretty good job at selling their different voices. Silver mm-hmm. Surfer is a little more sad and stoic. Beta Ray Bill is like a blue-collar guy in class. Gladiator is a soldier who needs to uh, retire and work a desk job that he hates. 
Yep. And I, I the issue it's it's a lot of like two panel pages. It's a lot of big big stuff, which is fine. But they keep they're teasing and they teased at the end of uh, Annihilation, not Annihilation, at the end of uh, Thanos Imperative that you know they were talking about the dire wraiths and the space knights and the issue ends with icon of the space knights showing up saying where's this team i'm supposed to lead and i'm like are you fucking kidding me this is where we end that's a great question elias and one that i'm gonna answer for us after a commercial break nice transition Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shows on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we're back. I have recovered from my uh, ROM, you know, my, my ROM coma. And we're here to talk about, well, I guess what comes next? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, so... Um... Elias, you did some poking around, and did you uh, ever find a, a satisfactory explanation for why this series were can- was canceled? <laughs> Lol. Nope. Uh, I found I found a few references to it. Um, I found a reference in on this site called the Daily Bloid, which I don't really know much about this website. It was a this was a 2019 interview with Dan Abnett, uh, and they were talking about you know some of the stuff you know how marvel editorial work uh, thanos and and whatnot and in that he kind of references the end of the series and he's talking about clearly i'm stalling for time because i lost the quote I should have just copied the damn quote uh, there we go. Why did Marvel Comics cancel such a terrific cosmic series in summer 2010? Uh, and he just says, I think it was internal politics at Marvel. The series was a huge critical hit, but no one seemed to be bothered with these minor characters. Then the movie was announced and suddenly they were a high profile property that everyone wanted to have a piece of. Uh, yeah, which we're going to talk about in just a second. Because um, so I happen to know that the screenplay for the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movies went into the works in 2009 when uh, the series was still coming out, the Abnett Atlantic series, and uh, mm-hmm. these Thanos imperative issues are in 2010. Mm-hmm. They get canceled, and the movie isn't announced, so they haven't really figured it out until 2012. So for two years, it was like uh, uncertain what was going to happen with the Guardians. Mm-hmm. And when they announced it at Comic-Con, they, uh, they come back in the comics as well. So the first, uh, just, uh, I'm going to, can I walk you through just like a rough arc of what happened with the Guardians? Uh, yeah, but before that, I just want one other, this was from Cosmic Book News. Oh, yes, please. In 2013, uh, apparently Andy Landing. Andy Landing, I could not find any any interviews with him. Like, he kind of seemed to drop off the face of the earth after the two split up in terms of, like, these kinds of interviews. He did, people don't really interview about him. They always refer to this as Dan Ab- Dan Abnett talks about it. It's like his run. Like, they 
I think we'll get a little into that. I don't know much about it, but the split was weird. But apparently Andy Lanning said that like what was supposed to happen right after the Thanos imperative was that the Guardians find Black Bolt. He's back. He had some parasite in him, which allowed him to talk. And that would have been another storyline that they were going to talk more about the fraternity of Raptors and maybe bringing in the Shadow War. Uh, and they were going to, if they kept up Nova, which is what I think I wish might have happened, was that Robbie would have taken over the mantle of Nova, and they would have continued in that way uh, if the series, you know, hadn't been summarily canceled. Yeah, but that's that seemed to be the the that's last really word on what might have been. And very little of that comes a, to be. Yeah, I found one other interview with Dan Abnett from 2014 from Multiversity, a uh, very good Matt, website. Yeah, a very good website. I wonder who it is. But it, it's allowed us kind of talking about what was going on, where it might have been. Uh, he talks a little bit about uh, the films. And specifically, he was talking kind of about how he was given a lot of freedom with the run. or They were given a lot of freedom with a lot of these smaller characters, but they weren't allowed to uh, you know, use some of the bigger ones that they wanted to. And so they were able to change it, you know, normal Marvel stuff. And mostly how, you know, the movies were based on what he was doing. That's about it. Yeah. A lot of it doesn't sound like very many of those plans go the way he intended. No. them. apparently they had a short they had a short list and they were supposed to they wanted to bring it back. He said we didn't recharge it in reference to the Guardian series after Thanos uh, because the, f- the film was on its way and suddenly it was a much more high profile project. Marvel wanted it exactly how they wanted to relaunch it. So I think that probably would have been the main thing left undone, i.e. Uh, the Guardians not, you know, not having connected to the Earth, you know, Space not Space Knight. He was talking actually about the novel that they wrote about Guardians of the Galaxy. Interesting. So... A lot of what if, but that's mostly what it is. He really he keeps why they ended it close to the chest, and it seems like he says when we decided to end Guardians, but I I don't buy it. I don't buy that it was a decision. I feel like they were they were told, oh, things are going to be changing. They're like, well, I guess we got to wrap it up now. Yeah, I. It's clearly it happened very suddenly, and I've always found that to be like you said, pretty mysterious. I know they had their creative uh, split after that. I imagine this all was connected. Yeah. Because the movie is called Guardians of the Galaxy and because of the direction this comics franchise goes, I'm going to largely talk about this as Guardians, but um, that's, of course, not what this was always about. Mm-hmm. So for, for two years, there is like no mention of uh, the Guardians or these characters in almost any Marvel book. We're completely earthbound. We're not looking to space. It was very um, uh, sudden for, for me who loved the series so much. Mm-hmm. Until... There was a 2012 Avengers movie tie-in comic written by Brian Michael Bendis called Avengers Assemble, where the movie lineup of the Avengers was fighting um, a villain who turned out to be Thanos, who hadn't fought the Avengers actually all that much in Marvel continuity at that point. And one of the big twists was that the Guardians of the Galaxy, led by Star-Lord, show up in that miniseries. And this was the first time Star-Lord had shown up in anything since Thanos Imperative. Yeah, since being trapped in the Cancerverse. (laughs) Yeah, with no explanation of how he'd escaped. And he was with um, a bunch of movie-appropriate Guardians, but also Bug. I believe Drax was there, Mm -hmm. with no explanation of how Drax was back alive. (laughs) I was working at um, Midtown Comics around this time, and I remember Marvel gave us trading cards, and I had this whole bio for Drax about how he was an alien and Thanos had uh, killed his wife and kid on his homeworld. And I was like, that's not what Drax is. Drax is the Avatar of Life, Arthur Douglas, who likes to play the saxophone, his daughter Moondrax. I just write, like, a... 
Yeah, and he how he was resurrected by th- and created to kill Thanos. Yeah, and that spins off into into the Bendis Guardians of the Galaxy series. Around that time, also Jeff Loeb launches a Nova series. I don't want to talk about this too much. I have a lot of opinions on Jeff Loeb's comic output, and I got a feeling we'll ha- we'll do an episode that'll touch upon it more directly. Mm-hmm. But um, Jeff Loeb's first six issues of Nova are a drag. They're really sad. Uh, they seem to be really grappling with a bunch of uh, tragedies that happened in his real life in a way that's not uh, uh, cathartic to read about, is how I'll put it. Mm-hmm. But that series gets taken over by Jerry Duggan, and that series not only ends up – not only is pretty good. Like the Duggan-Sam Alexander Nova issues are actually really fun, in my opinion. Huh. That ends up being the best continuation of Thanos Imperative in any Marvel book for many years. Damn. Because really? the Bendis Guardian stuff uh, completely shuns – uh, a lot of the non-movie materials from these comics. That's frustrating. Yeah. After Bendis, Jerry Duggan uh, goes on to write Guardians of the Galaxy, and I did not much care for that run, even though I quite liked Jerry Duggan most of the time. And that turned it, uh, went into a big story called Infinity Wars, plural, which I believe you've read, actually. Right, Alex? I... Yeah, it's a whole lot. It's a nothing burger of an event. Um, yeah, that's where a lot of the, uh, the characters from these books show up the next time. Mm-hmm. And then Donny Cates took over Guardians of the Galaxy. He wrote it for a brief time. I kind of like his issues. They're not spectacular. They don't bring like a fire back to it or anything. But I think he's very good at the first arc of something in that era. Like his Doctor Strange, the first arc was pretty good. The Guardians, the first arc was pretty good. And then the second arc of both of those fizzle out and he leaves the book. Uh, Yeah. And now, uh, as we're recording this, Al Ewing is writing The Guardians of the Galaxy. I have mostly really liked his run. I don't know how impactful it's going to feel at the end of it, but, like, I'm having a great time. And I mean, he's he's kind of just rocking out with all the weird cosmic shit he was apparently doing in Ultimates. Yeah. Uh, so let's touch upon this a little bit more specifically. I'm going to go, like, character or phenomena by character or phenomena. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to check in with uh, where they end up after Thanos Imperative, okay? Okay, but before we do that, let's, I guess, talk about what was the, because there was one thing that we aren't reading about this that I, we've kind of touched on and hinted at there, that Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning did write that was teased at the end of Thanos Imperative that we're not considering part of this, uh, and I guess why we're not reading it. It was called Annihilators. There were two miniseries. They were both four issues each. I did not read them. Uh, I know much to the surprise of everyone listening to this, uh, for once I... Sh- did not do the extra reading material. <laughs> uh, so I don't know anything about it. Uh, Jake, enlighten me. Yeah, I have read I read both of them when they came out. I was uh, very excited. So the Annihilators follows the Cos- uh, Cosmos team of heavy hitters that he's traveling with at the end. Uh, notably, uh, no uh, women in those heavy that squad of heavy hitters. Yep. And in the first arc, they team up with um, Icon of the Space Knights, indeed, to fight the Dire Wraiths, and it's a bunch of ROM shit. And you would probably like it because I know you like ROM. Love ROM. It doesn't really have anything to do – it's just like a little adventure with those characters playing off of each other. Gotcha. With a little bit of discussion about, like, should we be on a team together? Hmm. But that's kind of like – at the end of this, they're like, we're only going to be called together for the big shit, right? Yeah, and then they're like, like yeah, oh, we yeah, can... yeah, yeah. We could go do a mission for the Dire Wraiths, I guess, is kind of how that feels. Mm-hmm. And then Annihilator's Earthfall is they is is bad. So the, the Dire Wraith story is fine. Um, it's just like after Thanos Imperative, that's not what you follow it up with. Yeah, I get, I get what you mean. And uh, 
those characters don't have a lot of relate. Like a Silver Surfer and Gladiator, like play off of each other interestingly when you write them well, but they don't have like a real connection. There's not like a real reason for them to be together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the second Earthfall is they fall to Earth. They fight the Avengers a lot, and it doesn't do a very good job at the at, at that. At the like, oh, let's at least see who would win, who would beat who in a fight, and who would win, and what they would do, and how their powers would interact with each other. But like, it doesn't even do that stuff very well. Mm, that's a shame. Um, yeah, and after that, it just kind of fizzled out. And that's kind of when they stopped writing together, too. No, I know that they did one more Marvel series together that I quite like, actually, uh, which was um, Heroes for Hire and its follow-up Villains for Hire. <laughs> that sounds like fun. Yeah, this is the Misty Knight era of Heroes for Hire, where she uh, would call. She would uh, you get a cell f- a cell phone would be delivered to you by parcel delivery, mm-hmm. and then you'd open it. There'd be a cell phone, and Misty Knight would say, "Hello, hero, are you for hire tonight?" And then she'd give you a job, and then they would uh, you'd read a bunch of these jobs, and then they would all add up to a cool thing. That sounds like a lot of fun. It's neat. Yeah, I, if you want to read out good Abnett Lenning, that's their last good collaboration I can think of. There's at Marvel. Yeah. So characters. So Star-Lord, for example, was dead, right? Like, he was trapped in the Cancerverse at the end of this. Mm-hmm. He comes back in the Avengers Assemble uh, series by uh, Bendis to fight Thanos again. No explanation of how he escaped. Goes on to star in Bendis' Guardians. And in, in that, his characterization abruptly becomes Chris Pratt, right? Mm, yeah. Like, that's where that happens. And big theme with the Bendis' uh, Guardians is trying to distance themselves from, like, the baggage of having any backstory. And so... Oh, no. Yeah, so it's, he sets up a new status quo where uh, it has a lot to do with, like, Star-Lord is an exile prince. His dad is Emperor Jason of Spartax, and he's always trying to get his son to, like, come in and be responsible. But wasn't that part of his character already? Like, he was the son of, you know, the the Emperor of, of Spartax. Like, he was... he Because he's described as a Spartoy yeah. at some point. Yeah, in his captions he's described as that. Yeah. Half human, half Spartoy. But it wasn't really an important part. Like, him being okay. the I Star-Lord mean, was more important. I don't, I don't mind uh, if we're focusing on a different element of his character in a different series. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, uh, things are going to change, like, um, for example, I was going to talk about this a little farther down, but um, Gamora is now, uh, has a, a, a will, a, like, a will-they-won't-they going on with Star-Lord, even though they've never been romantically involved or interested in each other. And um, and her romance with Richard is uh, is erased from the Bendis comics. Oh. Yeah, there's like a lot of little changes like that made where if you are a fan of these issues, the Bendis comics kind of uh, nudge it around in a way that doesn't make them better. The other weird thing that happens a lot with those Guardians comics is they seem to be a dumping ground where Bendis is like, yeah, give me all the stupid ideas. I'll make I'll sell issues because that's like when they, they got uh, Angela. But I like Angela. Yeah, but when Marvel got Angela, they just put her on the Guardians team by Bendis. Um, for and and it, it, even within the story, it's never really justified oh. or explained. And I, I remember people liking Angela because they think she's a badass, but I never found her dynamic on the team particularly compelling. Like it wasn't played. until Marguerite Bennett and like Stephanie Hans took took over yeah. the series. Exactly. When Donny Cates does Guardians, Star Lord becomes a little bit more like sad boy goth, and it's fine. Al Ewing had to repair, like, years of bad Star-Lord comics, and he did it by making Star-Lord groovy again. <laughs> Quite literally. That was one hell of an issue. Yeah, and um, I like his new characterization a lot. It, it, it 
seems to reconcile a lot of weird writing. And uh, the last thing I just wanted to say about Star-Lord is uh, there's a very good Chip Zdarsky Chris Anka run that's worth reading. I wish that thing had gone on longer. Yeah, it's now a very concise miniseries that's cute. Yeah, it was during a weird time for the Guardians when they were grounded. That was the name of the crossover. Uh, yeah, that, that was the best part of that crossover, which was oh, okay. Didn't he date Critty Pride at one point? He did. They were engaged, in fact. That was during the Bendis era. Yeah, and then at one point, while he was grounded, Kitty Pride becomes the new Star-Lord. Huh. I'm not going to uh, give a beat-by-beat beat with everybody in continuity. Yeah, 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 That's where a bunch of the significant stuff gets picked up, and I wanted to plug a couple good stories. Gotcha. Drax, Gamora, Rocket, and Groot go on to star in the Bendis Guardians uh, books. Drax, as I was saying before, becomes unrecognizable. He's just uh, the Dave Bautista version of the character. Um, Infinity Wars is where they try to reconcile this a little bit. Um, I did not retain a lot of Infinity Wars. I should read the whole thing. There was a Drax miniseries at some point, but I don't remember when. It was just him with the sax. Yeah, I remember. I do remember that. That was a very striking image. Um, Gamora's uh, romance with Rich is retconned away, like I said. Um, recently, uh, they've mentioned it again in the more recent comics. Uh, Rocket loses his tactical edge, as I uh, complained about bitterly throughout the series, um, and becomes more of a trigger-happy psycho like he is in the movies. Groot mm-hmm. remains Groot. Um, a lot of those characters go on to have their own solo series for a, a, a while with the popularity of the movies. Uh, there was a Scotty Young one that I remember pretty fondly. CM Punk, uh, the WWE wrestler, wrote a Drax comic that's not half bad, actually. Okay. Um, about Drax fighting in underground alien fighting arenas. Okay. Um, doesn't have a lot to do with Guardians continuity, but it's novel and cool. I bet. Um, so uh, Phyla stays dead. Until Infinity Wars um, does a lot of crazy stuff with Philavel and Moondragon, and the end result of it is actually pretty compelling. After a long absence away and not being even teased or mentioned for the movies, um, we now have a version of Philavel from an alternate universe where she's freed of a lot of like the 616 baggage. It's like a parallel version, and she's like a blue Cree lady. Oh, that's why. Okay. And Moondragon was a different version of the character too, but they ended up. Um, the two moon dragons ended up merging, and that, uh, at least currently in the story, is a barrier in the relationship between Philo and Moon Dragon, because yeah. Philo was like really attached to this one identity of her wife, and now she's this whole other person at the same time. And uh, technically, also a third version of the person, not even, not even the old or the new. It's an amalgam. Yeah, it's very weird. But it's the kind of the kind of weird Marvel superhero stuff that like we live for. Totally. This is where I, I'm, I'm very happy with their current status quo, as we just described. Uh, but it took a long time to get there. Oh, yeah. Mantis is one of the few non-movie guardians who ever shows up in the Bendis run. She is like um, their friend who gives them information sometimes. Oh, that's a real flattening of her character. Yeah, uh, but she actually comes back in a big way in a comic I know you don't much care for, which is Empire. Yeah, so yeah do you I don't care in, for that much. In Empire, the villain ends up being her son, and she plays like a pretty pivotal role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. I think if you were to go back and specifically like try to read some of the Mantis parts of uh, that event, you would find the, that they landed better now that you spent some time with the character. I was really moved by that backstory for her. Probably. I I think I still just didn't care about uh, Kortoy or whatever his name was. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you're ever gonna like the uh, the whole event, but the Mantis stuff um, really was like a nice continuation of her character. Mm-hmm. So Bug apparently they started making like testing toys and doing concept art for him on the movie team early on, 
but he uh, he didn't make whatever the cut when they changed the screenplay around. Mm-hmm. So Bug shows up intermittently in some of those early Bendis comics before just vanishing and never being mentioned again. Has he been mentioned at all again? Yeah. Uh, later, he gets demoted to a team called the Nowhere Corp. Okay. There's a bunch of, I'm not going to list them all, but after the movie's popularity started to wane, they would just start doing these, like, weird freaking cosmic comics that didn't really have anything to do with anything, like the Asgardians of the Galaxy or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just every so often, they would do these, like, rando things. Bug likes to show up on those kinds of books. Hmm. Now, here's an exciting one. Do you remember what happens to Jack Flag? I bet you've read the issue. No. After, what? uh... So Jack Flag survives Thanos Imperative, right? He makes it to the end. He makes it to the end. There's very little actual uh, death of the side characters in this. Um, Yeah. Well, so do you remember there was a a very um, not very well-loved issue of Captain America because Captain America murders somebody and then whispers Hail Hydra and the internet had a fucking meltdown? That was Jack Flag. He murdered Jack Flag. That's who he's murdering in that scene. That's even worse. I'm saying the Hail Hydra thing is besides the point. The problem here is he's killing beloved Guardian of the Galaxy, Jack Flag. Nobody cared about poor Jack when they were having their internet meltdown. I demand justice for Jack. He remains dead in current Marvel continuity. God damn it, Nick Spencer. Justice for Jack Flag. I'm calling for it. We got justice for Han and uh, F9. We got justice for Jeff. Next, we need justice for Jack Flag, protector of Cleveland, all around nice guy. He hated cosmic shit. He hated it. Hated it. Uh, I looked up Major Victory on um, the Marvel Wiki. So Major Victory, as I've explained in the past, is Vance Astro. Uh, that's the same character as Justice. Mm-hmm. He's like uh, b- because he's a part of a bunch of continuity, like time travel confusingness. There are multiple pages for him because there are many parallel versions of him throughout the timelines. Yeah. I traced it down to our version of Major Victory. Mm-hmm. His entry ended with the sentence, Major Victory is still present in the present. Okay. Sounds... I guess he's floating around. He, he might be pulled into the new Defenders series. Um, I don't think he's ever shown up uh, significantly. You never know. Let's talk about Richard Ryder for a second. So with the focus oh, on Sam Alexander as the new Nova, uh, Richard Ryder was almost never mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. And he had been completely written out of the Guardians backstory because, I don't know, they were probably waiting on him in the movies. I don't like to blame everything on the movies and editorial mandate because I don't think comics work that way as often as people claim that they did. At least not. I think they they did for a little while. I think this time they did more than they usually do. Yeah. For for I think minor characters, for for characters that become really popular that weren't already popular, you'll see it more often. Anyway, uh, Jeff Loeb writes Nova Volume 6, the Sam Alexander series, and those first six issues are the ones he writes and they're all about um, Sam Alexander is this kid whose dad left, but it turns out, like, walked out on them. But it turns out he was secretly the superhero Nova, and he went missing. Mm-hmm. And Sam gets his helmet and tries to find his dad. Yeah. And uh, Jeff Loeb, really tragically in real life, lost his son. There's something really raw and emotional on the page of those issues that's very uncomfortable to read, where um, Sam says a lot of, like, uh, harsh stuff about his dad who left him. And uh, that that's the part of that book that resonated with me the most. I, they're very uncomfortable issues for me. After that, Jerry Duggan takes over and they get great. And in issue number 11 of that series, um, Sam um, comes a little bit more into the history of the Nova Corps. He meets Cosmo. Cosmo! And he b- helps to bring back Rich Rider from the Cancerverse. The how? I mean, go read that comic. They, like, open a portal and shit. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. 
and Rich Rider comes back in, and he's been in the Marvel Universe for a while now, they mostly are playing up the grizzled veteran angle with him, which I like, where uh, the Annihilation War stuff left him, like, pretty haunted, and his experience in the Cancerverse was even worse. Mm -hmm. He's still got a sense of humor, he's still a heroic guy, but, like, he's seen some shit now, and he's, like, got a haunted air to him. I really like Richard Rider in the comics today. He's mostly been in the in the Guardian stuff, and that's where I've mostly been reading him. Yeah, and I like uh, how Al Ewing handles that. He's uh, he 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 can be lighthearted, but he's uh, clearly affected by all of his, these experiences. Yeah, exactly. Now, Robbie Ryder was a character I wasn't expecting to see a lot of after these issues. It sounds like he did show up a lot. How wrong I was! Robbie Ryder uh, becomes a major player in freaking the uh, Fraternity of Raptors. But but. Which books? In the Infinity Countdown and Infinity Wars, uh, Robbie becomes um, one of the raptors. He rises in their ranks and is currently like a villain out there. He's a Darkhawk villain. Oh my god, he is? Yeah. I gotta reread those issues. And he last appeared in a Wolverine Infinity Watch. And I just, yeah, that's super exciting for Robbie. What a great heel turn for my dorky guy. Oh, poor Robbie. Yeah. I mean, like, whatever. Yay me. I get to read about Robbie fighting all sorts of space guys. Get I more guess cool so, villains. yeah. So just uh, the Nova Corps just, like, lies fallow for a couple years after uh, Thanos Imperative. Just nobody picks it up. Mm-hmm. And after Sam Alexander brings Rich back, he's like, I guess I got to go build, rebuild the Nova Corps again. Uh, again. <laughs> Even though I didn't really have a chance to try. Yeah, so he just, in the background, rebuilds the Nova Corps again. Do we get to see the other Nova Corps people, like uh, Imani and uh, Pilo and... None of those characters ever Cubit. return again. Oh, but Cubit. Nope, never mentioned again. Um, but do you know about uh, Agent Scott Adsit? No. So in real life, Scott Adsit is like a bald guy. He was on 30 Rock as Pete Hornberger. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a comedian. He did some stuff with Tenacious D back in the day. Hmm. Um, he is a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent in Deadpool comics as himself. Uh, he also is uh, Baymax. Oh, okay. So he does Marvel stuff sometimes. And uh, they just wrote him into the comics because I think he's a pretty likable guy. Mm -hmm. He ends up becoming the new leader of the Nova Corps in those comics. Oh. He gets recruited from S.H.I.E.L.D. to space. As you do. Of course, the Nova Corps is wiped out once again by the Universal Church of Truth in Donny Cates' Guardians comics. Uh, the fate of Agent Adzit has never been revealed, so um, Rich's status quo is that he is the last Nova for the uh, third time? Yeah, that adds to the, the grizzled veteran feel. I guess. It's getting absurd now. Yeah. World Mind gets corrupted and killed in the Cancerverse in those uh, Jerry Duggan stories. It's very sad. <sighs> no! Uh, the cool Corel stuff is pretty much dropped. I demand Corel be brought back. She went through so much, and I really liked where what she became. She deserves to, her place in the eighth iteration of the Marvel Universe. Yes, yes. Now, I want to be clear that uh, Namorita never actually came back in these Marvel comics. This is considered a separate timeline branched Namorita. Uh, the one who died in Civil War is the 6161, and she remained dead. Mm -hmm. I didn't write down this one's number, but she's like TRN-6461. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for all intents and purposes, she's back. After Thanos Imperative, she has never been seen again. Namorita, the dead one who died on, uh, in Civil War, was mentioned in the pages of New Warriors uh, Volume 5. Oh this version God. of Namorita, who meant so much to Richard that he did all oh these things God. for her in this comic, has never been anything again. This is the end for, of the road for her. Oh my God. 
that's poetic, but also horrible. Yeah. Oh, my God. Just, oh, uh, my can't, God. Cannot believe that that happened. Um, isn't that insane? Uh, you asked me to look up what happens with Garth and Saul. Yeah. And nothing happens with Garth and Saul. They teased him, and then they just, uh, I guess, never got around to it. Man, I was really excited. I wanted to see that. I, that's That felt like such a cool conflict and that could be brewing. For those who don't remember or, or didn't know, at the end, in the middle of Conquest, uh, one of the Shi'ar, or the Shi'ar uh, Nova Corps guy was kidnapped by Vulcan's troops. I'm sorry, it's War of Kings. Was kidnapped by Vulcan's troops. Uh, and when he's on the ship, there was another, um, what was, there, there was a a Nova Corps person there, you know, kind of like dramatically standing at the end of an issue. And it was clearly Garth and Saul, the supernova, the previous guy who held all the Nova Force in his head and, and self-described went crazy, killed a whole bunch of people. That sort of thing. Dark Phoenix kind of stuff. But they never followed up on that. And I kept waiting and waiting. And apparently he's just gone. No one knows him. No one references it. And maybe like the artist just screwed up and this was meant to be like Gladiator and they fucked up. Maybe maybe someday, but uh, nope, Garth and Saul gets ignored. <sighs> I've talked about this specifically in the past, but Cammy ends up becoming a character I really like. Which is amazing, because I had, I say I hadn't thought about her since we first, we last talked about her, but that's not true. I feel like I thought about her every single time. And she ends up um, next being in Avengers Arena mm-hmm. by Dennis Hopeless Halem, um, which is a series I really like. Um, and after that, she uh, gets a supporting role, not in any, like, A-list stuff, but uh, she's around in uh, that CM Punk Drax series. She shows up in As Guardians of the Galaxy. She shows up in something called Revenge of the Cosmic Ghost Rider. Oh, fuck. She was in both of those? I've yeah, read all she... these comics, and I didn't even notice. Cammy yeah, Cammy's, Cammy's around and stuff, and she's being fun. Now, wow. the one that's going to really uh, bum you out is Cosmo. Because Cosmo is the leader of the Annihilator, so he gets too many series where he's in that. After that, kind of nothing. He, like, shows up to, like, say one line here or there in um, issues of... There's an arc of Nova that he does. He says hey to the Guardians every so often. But uh, there hasn't been any more, like, good Cosmo stuff. And Cosmo was, like, ready to be, like, a main member of the team. Cosmo was a main member of the team. Cosmo was best boy, and the fact that he has been sidelined for the better part of 10 years infuriates me retroactively. Yeah. I should have been mad for the last 10 years. It's nonsense. Yeah. You have 10 years of anger to make up for. Nonsense. Ronin and Crystal, I want to mention especially, because um, while they aren't the stars of anything for a long time— um, there is an amazing issue in Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four where they are forced to divorce, and he treats this with uh, very serious weight, and uh, the dissolution of their marriage is like really heartbreaking and an excellent issue of comics, and I can't recommend it enough. It is uh, FF number 21, and it is Firecracker. Is that the name of the, the issue? No, that's just how I feel about it. Oh, okay. You never know with these issue titles. <laughs> In general, the Inhumans, um, their status quo with the Kree Empire gets picked up in that Hickman Fantastic Four series that I mentioned, um, Mm -hmm. which is uh, well worth a read. Um, Very famously, they were going to be the part of an initiative called Inhumanity that Matt Fraction was supposed to write, but that fell apart. And Charles Soule suddenly got the job instead. Mm -hmm. Um, This status quo is not an interesting one for the Inhumans, but Charles Soule is a good writer, and I really like a lot of those uh, series. Al Ewing does a couple of good issues, too. Um, Saladin Ahmed came in and did Black Bolt. Do we know how Black Bolt came back? 
he comes back in the pages of uh, Hickman's Fantastic Four, and it's very oh, okay. exciting. Okay, okay. Um, it's got to do with the fault. The fault is readdressed. Well, yeah, of course. Um, he's still uh, addressing it with uh, Vulcan in his X Men stuff currently. Oh yeah, that's gonna. I'm excited to to see that now more than ever. So it turns out that uh, Kazar Wendell Vaughn has actually been in a shocking amount of stuff, uh, as you might have detected. Like, I'm not the world's biggest Wendell Vaughn fan. He's fine. Yeah, he's he's fine. He does stuff. But uh, yeah, he's like whatever. But he had a pretty big role in the Avengers standoff, Pleasant Hill story, which was fine, which was an okay story. Yeah. And then he started training a cool new Kazar whose name was Avril Kincaid. And then I was like, all right, I like Wendell Vaughn kind of moving to the background and doing a, doing a legacy thing. I'm into that. But then he became Kazar again, and now Avril Kincaid's back in the background. And Wendell is just on the Guardians currently. Man. I feel like all of that legacy stuff that they were trying to do, they never committed to. They did it really half-heartedly, and then all of it got dropped. Yeah, Wendell Vaughn it just sucks. doesn't compel me as a protagonist. I think he's much more interesting as backstory. Yes. Kyle Ark slash Gladiator is in a million comics. He's an extremely popular character, and this is one of my favorite eras for him ever, these issues mm-hmm. that we read. He continues to roll the Shi'ar and show up in this role for actually a good long time, which I love. Um, and he shows up in X-Men stuff mostly. He brings his son – who's his son's uh, – I wish I remembered his son's name. But it's, his son um, comes as an exchange student to Wolverine's X-Men school. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, That's and, his, and his son's like a real uh, hot-headed uh, scumbag kid, and he befriends Quentin Choir, and then uh, Kalark's got to come to parent-teacher conferences, you know, oh, stuff God. like that. It's, it's fun. Yeah. Eventually, Kalark steps aside when um, the new heir to the Empire is discovered, which is the daughter of Professor X and Empress Lilandra, Xandra. Uh, and um, uh... as... Uh, that happens in some wild comics, uh, Mr. and Mrs. X specifically, uh, but is currently still getting resolved in the pages of Hickman's X-Men. Yeah, and but isn't... No, that's the Kree-Skrull Alliance, not the Shi'ar. Oh, we'll get to the Kree-Skrull Alliance in just a moment. What, is this with Kalert? Uh, well, Kalert is... Uh, yeah, he's, he's around floating now. around. He most, he most, I feel like we've read everything with Kalert since the, like, the last time we saw him. It, he showed up in Young Avengers, and then he's literally only had stuff to do with them and maybe showing up as a villain. Yeah, he shows up as a pretty reliable villain. Um, but more reliable is Thanos. Oh, so, God, yeah. So this guy was in a zillion comics after Imperative, and he really slowly, his characterization started morphing and more in line with the movie one and going back and forth. I thought it really washed him out. There was a lot of, like, Thanos origin comics, and the fact is that Thanos' origin isn't that interesting. That's why it wasn't even included vaguely in the movies, where, like, uh, his mother hated him and he was bullied as a child. Like, it's, like, not that interesting. I mean, he's also tied with the Eternals, so I know how you feel about that. He's tied with the Eternals, who are just fucking boring and the worst <laughs> his brother is star fox who's got like a mind control rapey powers that are really upsetting mm, nope. and yeah star fox stories are really tough to tough to sell just like everything surrounding thanos is, is mostly a bummer um and he's in so much stuff solo and they do so many comics where he does like infinity gauntlet light stuff um but okay so he first shows up in bendis's avengers assemble continues to play a big role in comics after that bendis sh- does show how he and star lord escaped the cancerverse but nova does not that's a story that he tells mm-hmm. if i had to say what my favorite thanos story has been since imperative in the guardians comics mm-hmm. uh it was donny cates first arc of um of guardians which thanos wasn't even in he was dead the whole time 
Uh, but it was about like his last will and testament. And I thought that was a really great Thanos story. Actually, that was a really good Thanos story. I thought you were gonna reference uh, Donny Keats's magnum opus, Thanos Wins, wherein literally every other story ties back to Thanos Wins, or maybe the Jeff Lemire stuff. Nah, I thought most of the Jeff Lemire stuff was forgettable. You know, I like Jeff Lemire. I just uh, I love Jeff Lemire on this podcast, but the Thanos stuff was whatever. Yeah, I, I have to concur. I don't. I really don't remember it. A character who did not get as high profile as Thanos, but much better comics um, appearances after this, is Annihilus. Oh, yeah. So where we were last left, Annihilus was um, growing from a cocoon and was being reborn in the negative zone, right? Mm Mm-hmm. All of that goes down on the pages of Hickman's Fantastic Four. It's very exciting. Um, without giving too much away, very famously, uh, the Human Torch died. There's, but it gets like much more complicated. There's a whole Gladiator situation. I won't spoil all the fun beats of it to you, but it's very worth reading. And Annihilus and Human Torch form a new relationship. There's a story after that where um, Human Torch and Spider-Man become roommates, and then Annihilus moves in with them, and um, it all falls apart when Peter Parker walks in Annihilus on Annihilus in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Just like Annihil- all the Annihilus Comic has books. been, a- yeah, only in fun stuff. Just like wacky fun stuff. The negative zone is remains a place people go to and have adventures there, but it doesn't really retain the sense of political coherence it did in this mm-hmm. run. Yeah. Ravenous is out there and um, has never been back in a significant comics role again, but he's still at large. I feel like that's kind of the role he needs to play. It's kind of a shame he never got to have his second arc. But what do you do? Um, he's he'll be back one day. He's out one there. One day, someone will use him. Um, King Blastar, King Blastar, my guy, shows up in um all the best issues of Matt Fraction's Fantastic Four stuff. Um, he lost a fight to Carol Danvers one time with in Infinity Countdown, and he's out there waiting for his solo series. <laughs> one day they'll have to hire you. Oh my God, I gotta have a Blastar pitch. And I guess the last thing I I want to specifically mention is um. The the place that I love that at the end of this was how the Marvel galaxy felt like a galaxy with all these different weird factions and adventures and everything, but it felt specific. Yeah. And the movie was going for vibes, which was fun for a movie, but then the comics started going for vibes, and a lot of the specificity was lost, and I think yeah. that's best represented by what happens with the Kree, because a lot of the focus of this run seemed to take place largely around Kree space, I think. And the idea was like Mm -hmm. it was like shifting focus away from like Earth stuff to what goes on in other parts of the galaxy where the Kree are like the dominant cultural force. Yeah, especially after the Skrulls kind of got super defeated and the, the Shi'ar had previously been ruled by, you know, Vulcan. Yeah, um, and so it's it, we're left in a really interesting place here, but uh, Hickman restores the status quo, which is less interesting to me, where the Supreme Intelligence is back in charge, the accusers are wielding hammers and going around being uh, nefarious, and it's just like the regular Kree stuff happens again under Hickman. He tells good stories with that status quo, but I thought it was like a weak move. Mm-hmm. And then Bendis just casually blows up the planet Hala in the Black Vortex story, which infuriates me. I just, like, um, that was... See, that's a, you know how nothing of an event that was? I forgot, and I read Black Vortex. Yeah, it, Black Vortex is really whatever. And, um, and that was, like, a location that you could use again that he just got rid of for no reason. I, like, understand that the people of that planet aren't real because they're fictional, but it's just, like, bad storytelling. It didn't do anything for that story, and it lost so much for future stories. There was so mm-hmm. much history there, and, like, uh, we fought the Conquest War there. That's where Phyla Vell defeated Ultron. Yeah. 
But now, um, after Empire, the Krees and the Scroll, the Kree and the Scroll have been re- united by Hulkling, the son of um, the Scroll Princess and. 616 Captain Marvell, who rules alongside his uh, witch consort husband, uh, Wiccan. And this is a status quo that I really like. I mean, the Kree and the Skrulls, like, most famously are at war with each other, but I love that um, Hulkling was, like, prophesized to bring these two warring races together. It's like a fairy tale, and as I've talked about a lot on this podcast, I love that fairy tale element of my Hulkling stories. It is a good one. As soon as you, you started talking about I went, you know... Maybe Lord Marvell should have been the villain of the last annihilation. I mean, the last annihilation is still coming out. Perhaps he will be. Maybe, but like Dormammu being the the big poster child, I feel like Lord Marvell would have had a much cl- a much better connection in the same way that Philavel was completely absent and missing from from this. Well, we will see if you will eat those words uh, upon the conclusion of that story. Yeah, which <laughs> I think by the time this episode releases, people will know. Yeah. Um, But in the meanwhile, Elias, um, you just read the Annihilation Saga. What do you think about this run of comics? It's a lot. One hell of a run. You glad Um, you read it? I am glad I read it. I'm glad I read it uh, across, and I'm glad I talked about it at each step. That's how I feel about a lot of things, like, especially when you go back to things that are considered classics. Sometimes they hold up entirely on their own when you're reading it on your own, but other times you have to be, you know, talking about them and reading them in chunks and whatnot. I don't know. I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I, one is better than the other for this because it's comics and, you know, individual issues were built to be individual issues as they came out. But I am, I, I'm glad I read them, even the worst parts of this. Uh, well, I don't know if I'd say I'm glad I read it, like X-Men Kingbreaker or uh, Realm of Kings, Son of the Hulk. Like, I don't yeah. know if I'm glad I read them, but the completionist yeah. in me, I'm like, okay, I did that once. I never have to read those ever again. And if I want to revisit the good stuff, I can just do that and have yeah. the context already. Yeah, which I've done. I I would definitely do a slightly curated reading order if it were totally up to me, but I like being a completionist. I think there's something – I get stuff out of reading comics that I don't like, and I like doing it sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, That's like a good way to learn. And it's fun having this continuity foundation that can then get uh, ignored and you can get infuriated. (laughs) <laughs> but that's the way of things that's the way of comics and oh that was not I, sarcastic I, that's a wonderful part of uh, reading marvel comics i feel like the you know with a lot of comics specifically marvel and you know superhero comics at marvel and dc marvel more more so than dc i feel like things take a 10 year loop like you'll have a run You'll have a really well-loved and well-received run. And whoever comes next will just be like, nope, doing something completely different. Try very hard not to reference what came before. But then you get one run later and people will start referencing and talking about the stuff that came before before that got lost in the shuffle that, that didn't get picked up on. And that's when you start seeing the resurgence of the things that you really loved in that original one that, you know, didn't get talked about. Uh, which is always a shame, but I, f- I feel like there's that cycle, um, and it's a good thing when it comes back. Yeah, I uh, I truly have liked the journey. I mean, I've been frustrated at times, but it's uh, <laughs> you're right. It's like, a, yeah, I know a lot of runs that that's happened with, um, and there's definitely a 10-year cycle where people who were really influenced by it go on to write it and be enthusiastic about it. 
I'm trying to think what else, what other big thoughts, what galaxy brain takes do I have on the Annihilation Saga? Well, I don't think we're going to necessarily uh, come to a strong conclusion today, but I think it's going to sit with us for a while. We might come back and read Annihilators or another one of the follow-ups uh, just to return to this and think about it in the future. But next uh, episode, there will be no reading. Um, Elias and I are just going to get together and kind of jam about modern Marvel comics because we've been reading them. We just haven't talked about them for six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there is another book club on the way, but uh, we're going to break with the, the format a little bit and, you know, take, a, take a, a slightly more extended break because we were reading 14, 15 issues every other week just to stay up to date with this. I think one one or two weeks there were 20 issues and that's in addition to like the other stuff we got going on and we need a little bit of a break from, yeah. from the book club stuff but we will be back with that but we'll be back with an episode regardless but jake where can they find you on the interwebs in between uh from now until then and for times in the future you can find me at twitter at rambling underscore moose and you can also find me writing about x-men and attack on titan and multiversitycomics.com which is a pretty great website hell yeah uh, how about you elias where, where might you be found i can be found on twitter at quetzal ish that's q u e t z e l i s h uh if you read all of those letters in a random order it will summon yog shagoth and uh maybe tear an entire hole in the middle of wherever you're living so maybe don't do that. Uh, you can also find my writing at multiversitycomics.com. Uh, I am covering Riverdale, Supergirl, and Babylon 5 still. Uh, Babylon 5 will be wrapping up sooner rather than later. Uh, although I feel like all three shows are going to end all at the same time, and that's going to be fun. Uh, but I also have semi-recently finished my big read-through of Demon Slayer, uh, so go read that. It will be entirely out in its entirety. So I've I've been really enjoying doing the uh, dis dissection of that, and I I really enjoyed. It. I always love doing the summer comics binges, but I feel like this year this year did I did a really good job. I I should read that run sometime, and I would love to follow along with you. That sounds like a great time. Booyah! But until then, farewell. I don't have a good actor. <laughs>